0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Do you know that kid in every class who knows the answer to the teacher's question before everyone else, who wiggles in their seat or waves their hand in the air while the rest of the class is still trying to figure it out? Maybe you remember that kid maybe you were or are that kid when i read today's gospel and hear jesus sternly order the disciples not to tell anyone that he's the messiah i can't help but wonder if the disciples felt like that kid they've heard that a lot of folks can't figure out who jesus is that the rumor mill is associating him with people who aren't even alive anymore Maybe he's the recently beheaded John the Baptist, or Elijah, or another prophet from hundreds of years ago. But the disciples know differently. They know, as Peter has just proclaimed, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that his presence on earth means nothing less than that God, God's self, is among them. This piece of information is of greater consequence than anything else they have ever known. So why wouldn't they want to blurt it out? Why shouldn't they go out into the world and set the record straight? Jesus' insistence on silence around his true identity is a motif that scholars call the messianic secret, and it shows up in several of the gospels, especially in Mark. But to understand what it's doing here in the Gospel of Matthew, I think we have to ask what it means for the community that produced this gospel to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of the living God. And then we have to ask what it means for us. The Gospel of Matthew probably emerged at the end of the first century from within a community of Christ followers still deeply rooted in Judaism. This community is living in a very difficult and uncertain moment. The recent Jewish uprising against their Roman colonizers has failed. And the Romans have destroyed the temple in retaliation. For all intents and purposes, the forces of empire have won. The community knows that God has spoken truth to power before, through John the Baptist, through the prophets, all the people the disciples name in the gospel. And they have waited centuries for the Messiah, the anointed ruler who would finally conquer their oppressors. Nevertheless, there is no knowledge from the past that maps neatly onto their current situation. Being able to name what it means for the Messiah to have come, for this to be some fully comprehensible concept that they could learn and pass on to others, would also mean knowing what's going to happen to them. And they don't have a clue. And yet they believe and celebrate in community God's creative power at work. The knowledge that somehow, in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the kingdom of heaven is very close at hand. And so their gospel tries to capture this mysterious imminence in Peter's confession and Jesus' response. Peter, as the gospel of Matthew portrays him, is a lot like the rest of us. He tries to be a good disciple, but he fumbles and falters. He has, as Jesus has said, only a little faith. He doesn't always say the right thing. And yet it's clear in this case that he has given voice to something extraordinary, a truth available to him not through any cognitive power of his own, not through any amount of study or hearsay or past experience, but as a gift from God, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, says Jesus, but my Father in heaven. Peter's ability to name Jesus in the fullness of his true identity represents a transgression of the boundary separating heaven and earth. His divinely derived knowledge constitutes a disruption of our conceptual reality and an inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God as the community of Matthew's gospel knew all too well, isn't rational or predictable. It doesn't behave in the ways we might expect or wish it would. It's wild and it's quirky, and it breaks through intermittently into our lives in ways that we can't always explain and that we certainly can't be taught. Before I came here with you all, I worked in part as a hospital chaplain In this role, I sat with more grieving families than I can count. But I will never forget the morning that I did this for the very first time. At that point, I was a chaplaincy intern, just a week into my internship. It was my first shift as the on-call chaplain, and I was desperately hoping for an uneventful few hours. But no sooner had I taken the pager than it started beeping a patient in the ICU had just died. His family was gathered around him, and I was being asked to go sit with them and pray. I was certain that I was totally unqualified to do this. I was just some little person at the very beginning of the ordination process. With the exception of one week of chaplaincy orientation, I had no formal pastoral training. Who was I to offer anything to this family I had never met, to bear witness to the fullness of their loved one's life or the pain of his death? To make matters worse, the last death I'd been part of had been my own father's. And intrusive memories of that terrible time came flooding back. I wanted so much to show up compassionate and calm, to do justice to the persistent call I'd been feeling to be present with people in grief and suffering but really, I was on the verge of panicking. I was so upset that I wasn't paying attention to where I was going, and the next thing I knew, I was lost in the hospital. I looked around, trying to get my bearings, and I noticed that the hallway I'd ended up on was completely deserted, with the exception of one person who was walking toward me. I realized that I recognized him. His name was David and he was an environmental services technician, a janitor who cleaned rooms in the emergency department. I'd met him briefly on the first day of my internship when my cohort was getting a tour of the hospital, but I had no reason to assume he'd remember me. As he came closer, though, he called out my name. Karen, he said, how are you? I responded with one small part of the truth. Actually, I'm a little lost. Could you please tell me how to get to the ICU from here?" And in that moment, with no way of knowing what was going on in my head, and without owing me anything, David stopped, turned to face me, and raised his hand in blessing. In a loud, clear voice, he proclaimed, Karen can do all things through Christ who strengthens her. And then he turned around and walked away. I stood there, feeling simultaneously stunned and held. Then, with the renewed sense of my own orientation, physically and otherwise, I went to the ICU and met the family. Now, I had grown up in the church, and I had three degrees in religion, for better or for worse. I knew plenty about who people said Jesus was, But never in my life had I fully realized who I knew Jesus to be, until that moment in the hospital hallway when the son of the living God, in the form of David, the environmental services technician, saw me in my fear and pain and called me beloved. And the kingdom of God isn't rational or predictable. It doesn't act in the ways we might wish it would. It doesn't come charging in and overturn the evils of oppression or injustice, nor does it save us from our own pain and suffering. If it did, it wouldn't be hard to discuss or define at all. Jesus could have told the disciples to go tell anyone about it that they wanted to. But what it does mean is that our Messiah, our God, who took on flesh and dwelt among us, sanctifying our lives and bodies through presence, can and does work through the ordinary and imperfect gifts of presence that we offer to one another to communicate an extraordinary and unfathomable grace. May these gifts of presence surprise and sustain us in this new academic year, in times that are joyful and in times that are painful. May we pray that we would be as the earliest Christians were for one another and as David was for me, conduits of the impossible truth that our Messiah is with us, even now. And may we never be too busy with what makes sense to notice the wild weirdness of God's kingdom breaking through. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org There you can find our latest news and events connect with our pastoral care team Faith in Action Ministries and offer a prayer request You can also find us on social media on Instagram at thechapelofthecross and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C Chapel Hill May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world